How about now? There it is. My bad. Um, if, you're, if you have little ones with you, we, we encourage you, if you'd like to keep them uh, in the service with you, that is totally fine as well. We're used to uh, little squeaks and squawks and little noises. It's part of, part of being a, a young church family, which is an exciting thing. So I uh, encourage you to keep them with you if that is your preference as well. So we are going through the entire book of Romans this summer. We're on week, week four, chapter four this week. Uh, and Pastor Brandon, when he first introduced the book a few weeks ago, he brought up three main themes that we see throughout this book of Romans. We, Paul talks about, Paul, the Apostle Paul is the writer of the book of Romans, and he writes a lot about the nature of God, the nature of humankind, and the nature of Christ. Those are the big three things that we're learning about. And to this point, if you've read along with us for the first three chapters, we've been focused a lot on the nature of humankind, most notably the brokenness and sinfulness of humankind, that that is our, our natural disposition to, to rebel, to, we have a sinful nature. This culminates at the end of, of chapter 3, like we visited last week. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There aren't any exceptions to this. All of humankind has, has experienced the brokenness, the hurt, uh, the imperfection of sin in this world. We're all included in that, me and you and everyone who's ever walked on the face of the earth. Now, remember, recorded way back in Genesis, in the, in the crea- creation account, God created the world, everything in it, and he originally created it without sin. There was one tree in the Garden of Eden that he, that he told Adam and Eve not to eat from. You cannot eat from this, this tree. It was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and they were tempted by the serpent, by Satan. Uh, and they sinned. They ate the fruit from that one tree in the garden. It, it looked like it would gain them knowledge. They would know more. And they did. They, they learned, they, they knew the knowledge of shame. They, knew, they gained knowledge of sin. It, it was useful. That's how Satan twisted that story. It was useful for gaining knowledge, but it was a knowledge they didn't want to know. It, it was a knowledge of a world outside of perfection, a world that included sin. And since then, we call that event the fall. Now, since then, because Adam and Eve knew that sin and shame, every, each and every one of their descendants, all of us, all of humankind, was born into that sin and shame. And that's what Paul's writing about so far in Romans. He's making that abundantly clear. There are those of you, uh, the Jews who have, who have lived by the law, the, the religious people who have upkept these ancient rules and they've tried to live them perfectly even, even though they haven't. They're, they're not better than those who don't know anything about, about God or about the religious ways or about the laws. There's, there's no different. We're all equal. We've all sinned. We are all in trouble and in need of saving. I think a lot of the, the gravity, the seriousness of, of the hopelessness of that, I think it's kind of muted a little bit in, in our society, especially uh, in the entertainment world, TV shows or, or movie shows that we watch. We long for some sort of, sort of conflict some sort of plot twist. We, we kind of need that to, to grab our attention. So I, I think the gravity of our situation as it's told in the Bible that, that we have sinned and there is impending death and judgment for those who are under this weight of sin, I, I think we can kind of shuffle that to the side a little bit because there's always, in, in entertainment nowadays, there's always a hero to pluck us out of that. Even in the most hopeless situations, it always feels like Superman's going to swoop in and save the day, right? Like, we get that. We all have this longing, no matter, no matter how broken or desperate or downtrodden you may feel 
today. I don't know each and every one of your specific situation right now, but even in that, you have this longing, this want to be brought to a happily ever after, right? You don't, you don't want to stay there. You want, you want to be brought out of that, to be rescued from it. No matter how desperate or hopeless, isn't there there's a little glimmer of hope? We're, we're wired this way. We want to believe. We just want to know. We want to trust. I don't know how. I don't know where. But good is going to prevail. We're, we're going to come out of this. Let's see just a few examples from, from movies that we watch. Uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy. We can talk about the new ones later, maybe. Um, but this, this picture from The Empire Strikes Back, or, or even in, in the third one, in, in Return of the Jedi, where Emperor Palpatine is over Luke Skywalker, and he says, and now, young Skywalker, you will die. Like, there's, there's, even, even in the most grim, the most hopeless of moments, out of nowhere, Darth Vader, Luke's father, comes and, and rescues him. You don't, you don't see that coming. In, the, in this moment, he's, he's hanging above the city, the air, the cloud city of Bespin. He's, his, his arm has been cut off. It's been revealed to him that Darth Vader is his father. Han Solo, his best friend, has been captured by a bounty hunter. It's a really hopeless situation. And the Millennium Falcon swoops in, and, and Leia and Lando, Lando rescue Luke from, from this peril. He didn't in that moment say, no, you know what? I'm good. I got, I got this figured out. You know what? I think, I think I can handle it. He didn't do that. There, there was a hero who swooped in and he, and he said, yes, I'll, I'll get on the ship. Let's get out of here. Let's get away from this. In Trolls, uh, a kid's movie that came out a few years ago, um, Poppy and her friends, she's trying to rescue her friends, but it ultimately um, they get captured by this evil chef who's preparing a meal for, for Trollstice. And uh, the, the, the people of this town are actually going to eat the trolls. That's how, how they celebrate Trollstice. And all of her friends, her whole village, are captured in this pot. And it's locked down tight, and they're way smaller than everybody else. There's no chance that they have to get out of this. And one of the characters, one of the, one of the friends they've befriended, she swoops in out of nowhere uh, and, and rescues them takes, them, takes them out of the pot, and they're, and they're delivered from this, from this certain death. Harry Potter, uh, it's, it's in all seven parts of this series. There's like a mini cliffhanger in each and every one of the stories, but especially at the end, the last one, Deathly Hallows. Uh, Voldemort and his, his army of Death Eaters have come in. They've destroyed the castle. They, they've raided the castle. There's this picture of, of fire and hopelessness, and all the wizards have, have felt defeated. And on top of it all, Voldemort has finally gotten what he wants. He's, he's killed the young Harry Potter. And all hope, there's no hope anymore. Their chosen one is gone. The one who's going to defeat evil is dead. And yet, the resurrection stone, he comes back and he surprises Voldemort out of, out of nowhere. And he comes to win the day. We, we long for this conflict, this, this savior, even in uh, more, more recent movies, such as like the Avengers series. That's just the classic superhero. Every single time they build up this huge hopeless situation. But we even see it in, if you watch like cooking shows or home renovations, they try to insert this bit of drama. Like this, this beam isn't going to fit. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to cut the beam. It's going to be okay. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness, the icing came out too runny for my cupcakes. Well, well we're going to do it again. We're going to make it a little thicker. Like we long for, the, we long for this saving moment. We long for this this happily ever after, we long for that way out, even in our darkest hour. We're wired for faith and hope. What we really want, though, is a way out of that that is good and perfect, that makes everything right, even better than it was before, than, than, than when we first had that conflict, right? That's what we really long for. 
the tone switches in chapter 4 of Romans. Paul's, Paul's built this up. He's built up the plot twist, the drama, our need to be saved. We're on the brink of falling into a place where there's no hope and there's no coming back. And he turns the page, and, and in the, I'm going to give you the punchline right now at the start. So if you leave after this, I'll understand, because this is where we're going to wind up anyway. I'm going to give it to you right now. But even though we deserve death and punishment for our sin, this, this drama that Paul's been building up in the first three chapters, he says that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are given the righteousness of God. We're justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we're given the righteousness of God. So let's dive in. Let's see how he gets there, how he comes to this happily ever after, even out of this hopelessness. Romans chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 18 this morning, reading in Jesus' name. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It'll be on the screen. There's a few Bibles under the seats, too, if you'd like to turn there. In hope, he believed against hope. He's talking, he's talking about Abraham here. Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Let's stop right there. Verse 18. Abraham, again, back in Genesis in the Old Testament around chapter 15, Abraham's about 100 years old. His wife is 100 years old. They haven't had any children, and yet God makes this promise to Abraham. You are going to be the father of many nations. 100 years old. Sounds right. That could happen. And this isn't some weird time-lapse thing where in the Old Testament, they, they, 900, a year wasn't the same amount of time, that 100 years old wasn't really 100 years old. They, they were. They, they were 100 years old. And God is telling them, you are going to have a son, and you're going to have more descendants than the stars. We'll see. Okay, verse 19. Jump back in, Romans 4. Even then, Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins, and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, move in power today through the truth of your word. Give us faith to trust what you've said, to look back at our lives, at history, the account in the Bible and your holy word that we can look back and see even in the darkest of times where ho all hope seems lost. Give us faith to see that you are faithful. Fill our faith and hope in you that you are able to complete the work that you said you would. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said before, Romans chapter four, we kind of see this scene shift. Romans four is where pa Paul really starts to wrestle with and explain this theology of faith. All three of those things that, that are throughout the book of Romans. Uh, the nature of God, of humankind, and of Christ Jesus. This chapter, I'm going to throw out a big word here, he starts to lay out what we would call systematics, or, or systematic theology. He's laying out and explaining what we believe 
and why we believe it. Those would be good things to know if we're, if we're professing a faith. So, before we move any further, we're going to define some terms. You weren't as excited about that as I thought you were going to be. We're going to define some terms. Woo! Okay, thank you. All right. So, in, in this reading, I think there's, just, there's four terms that jump out that we should really have a good understanding of um, if, we're, if we're able to talk about and understand why we believe and what, and what we believe. Grace. Grace is a free gift, something given with, without obligation. It's receiving something we don't deserve, the outpouring of the love of God for us. It's just given. There's no strings attached. All you have to do is receive it. Grace guarantees this promise, the promise that God made to Abraham, the promise that God made to us, because it gives life to the dead. Abraham was by all accounts dead. He and Sarah had no business having children at all. And yet God made this promise to him with this birth of Isaac when Abraham was 100 years old. Abraham, Abraham had Isaac this son of the promise, the one through whom the promise of many nations would be fulfilled. The birth of Isaac in the Old Testament is a picture how all of us are children of a promise that comes into being when, when we receive Jesus Christ as Christians. It's the supernatural work of God. We were dead in our sins, and yet through this promise, of this gift given in grace, we're brought into spiritual life out of death. We're brought into a life of faith. God's grace guarantees this promise. It enables us to believe and keep on believing. It overrides our sin. The promise is not dependent on our fickle will, whether we decide yes or no. It's on God's sovereign grace. He's already decided to give it to you. Next big word, justification. This simply means to be pardoned from punishment. The simplest way to remember it Think of justified, just if I'd never sinned. That's what justification is. We're, we're pardoned from the punishment that is due for us. Our, we're given a clean slate, pardoned from punishment. This justification by faith is getting right with God. It's, it's like we're just being pardoned in court, being forgiven from our sins, being declared righteous and, and having that righteousness be from God, the ultimate standard, his rightness, his perfectness, his justice. Our sins are taken out on Christ. We, we receive righteousness from God. Our sins are given to Christ to be taken care of in his sacrifice on the cross. This, this is why we're not instantly made righteous when, when we declare faith. That's why we still live in a world of sin. We, we don't all of a sudden declare that, yes, I accept this gift of grace. I, I have my faith in you, Jesus. And then, boom, I'm perfect. It doesn't work like that, right? We're, is anyone perfect here right now? Living without sin? No. But we, it's, when we come to that day of judgment, we will be seen clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God's righteousness is given to us in place of our sin. That's what justification is. I jumped the gun on righteousness because they're, they're all kind of interwoven together. That's why I think it's important for us to understand this. Righteousness is simply God's character. His, he's, he's the ultimate authority on, on what is right, what is true, what is just, what is perfect. We don't have that. We, we, even, even by faith, we can't have righteousness of our own. It's righteousness of God given to us because he is that ultimate standard. That's what righteousness is. 
And then simply faith. Faith was, is probably most familiar of these. We have a belief and a trust in someone or something. You've, you've maybe see, seen it in a movie on a TV show. You heard one of your friends say, you know what, I just, I just feel it. I just, I just believe. I just have faith that this is going to work out. I just know. So when Paul says in verse 22 that faith is credited to us as righteousness, we're, we're not justified in our own righteousness. We are pardoned because it's, it's the righteousness of God given to us on the, on the judgment day when God sees us. And yes, he, he sees our sin. He knows our sin. But in our place, he see, those who believe in Christ Jesus, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, he sees the righteousness of, of, of God. He sees his righteousness not the weight of all of their sin. He takes our sin. We take his righteousness. He credits our faith as righteousness. He offers you this as a gift. Like we said, this is how it's tied into grace. It's, it's freely given. Christ came to fulfill this righteousness. He died a death that would remove all your sins so that you could take on the righteousness of God. If you take on this gift, if you put your trust in it, your faith in it, you have a peace with God that passes all understanding. We, we, we don't get how it works sometimes. We don't fully comprehend how could this be. That's an okay place to be. If you, if you don't understand how does this make sense, you don't have to. That's not part of the condition of receiving this, this grace through faith. You just need to know that it is true. And you know what, God? I'm, I'm going to keep reading your word. I'm going to keep trying to learn about you. I'm going to keep trying to understand how this could possibly be. Your identity is made secure in this righteousness as a child of God. You don't need the approval of others. You don't need the supports of, of wealth or power or revenge of ju or justice to, to establish your identity. You can simply look to Christ. Put your trust and your faith in him for your righteousness. So God very intentionally uses faith. He, he uses this idea of faith, of, tr of trust in him as a way for us to be justified. That's, that's what we need, right? Paul, Paul set this up in the first three chapters. We, we have sin. We are full of sin. We can't avoid it. What we need is a way to be pardoned from that. We, we need to be justified. And God chose faith as this way of justification because, as I said before, faith kind of meshes and melds with grace. Grace is this free and sovereign work of God that makes the promise certain. We don't, we don't necessarily need anything to have faith, right? We, 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 don't, we don't need to have all this proven. Yeah, sure, evidence and, and things kind of help, but you can have faith with, without having this proof, right? Like you can simply believe something that, that you know to be true. That's how, that's how it works. But faith can be freely, freely taken just as grace is freely given. God justifies us by this faith because it gives us that strong assurance. We don't have to have that ultimate understanding of why I believe it. You know what? God said it was true, and I believe it to be true, and that's enough. God also chose faith as, a way, as the way to justification, the way for our pardoning, because it excludes boasting. You've heard, you've heard Pastor Brandon and I and, pa and Pastor Paul, even Pastor Jim last week say, there's nothing that we in and of ourselves can do to earn this. The work is done. Romans 3.27 says, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By a law of works? No. By a law of faith. If we hold that one who is justified by faith 
apart from works from the law. We can't do it from, for ourselves. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works for the law. If we were to be able to work for this, if we were to be able to earn it, that would mean just, just like wages, just like you work at a job, if we had done something to earn it, that means we got a paycheck coming. That means God owes us something for the works that we have done. And, and that isn't the case. God, God didn't set it up like that. Even if we could live a perfect life, we can't. But even if we could, that is not what gains us our righteousness. It's not the way God designed it. He's the ultimate righteousness. He's the ultimate bar. We are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's how we receive his righteousness. Faith is also God's appointed way to be justified because it gives all of the glory to God. We can't take credit for any of it. We can't earn it. All of the glory is his. It honors him as trustworthy and faithful and powerful and wise and loving. Isn't that the father that we all want? The one that is trustworthy and faithful and powerful and wise and loving. That gives all, faith gives all of that to God. It attributes all of that, all of that glory to God. In our passage, Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it says, Yet with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith giving glory to God. That probably sounded like a really ridiculous thing. It, it sounded as ridiculous to Abraham as, as it would if I came up to, to one of you, what, I, I love you elder saints, but if I came up to one of you right now and told you that you were going to have a baby next year, the look on your face that you would give me is the same one that Abraham had. It was that ridiculous. But yet, he did not waver. He, he believed. He knew God said this is to be He's been, he's been faithful in my life. I have no reason to doubt him at all. I know what he said he will accomplish will come to pass. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, the fact that our faith glorifies God, gives glory to God, that doesn't mean we're like adding glory to God. God doesn't have this huge stack of glory that we're adding to and, and making more and more because of our faith in him. It, it, it doesn't work like that. It means simply displaying that God is glorious. It's, it's the experience. It's, it's our showing, shining the light of the gospel of God's grace to this world, showing his glory, calling attention to his glory for all of creation. His glory is the greatness of his beauty, the shining, the displaying of all of his excellencies, his character, the radiance of his perfection. Psalm 19 says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. When you see a beautiful sky or a, or a frightening lightning blast shatter the darkness, that, that's the radiance of God's glory. Romans 11 says the aim of all things is to display the glory of God. So our faith is included in that. He is glorified in our faith. For him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the basic condition of our heart. We want, we want that happily ever after. And that is the glory of God. That's what, we're, that's what we're going for, right? When we are to arrive in heaven, he heaven, we can talk about where or what or, or how it is. The, the one thing we know for sure about heaven is that it is the full experience of the glory of God like we've never had before. That's the happily ever after that we're going for. 
So what else is it about this, this faith that, that we have that gives glory to God? How does that come out? How is, how is that shown in this world? It's crucial for us to understand because we exist. The Bible tells us that we exist to give glory to God. Again, we're not adding to, but we are glorifying him on earth. He, he set this out to the Israelites, even in the Old Testament, that they would be his people, that the world would come to know him through them, through their work. That's continued in us today. The main problem with our world today is that we've totally exchanged, in every possible way, the glory of God for the glory of the things of this world. We've totally lost and abandoned our, our true reason, our true purpose in glorifying God on this world. God is bringing creation back to its reason for being. He's sovereign. He has power. He is righteous. Habakkuk in the Old Testament tells us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord just as the waters cover the sea. That will be the vastness of, of how his glory is known. And we're included in that. Our, our faith is what testifies to that, to his glory. Faith is that strong assurance that God's promises are good. He has said that his glory will be known throughout the earth, and he gives us the privilege of receiving his grace, being justified in his grace through faith so that he will be glorified and we can be part of his work here on earth. In thinking about how, how we glorify God, what this looks like, I want to give a little cutesy Father's Day idea for this, but um, imagine either your children or when you were, when you were a child, your father standing Standing in a pool, arms outstretched, you're on the edge. And he says, jump, I'll catch you, I promise. Now, you have two options. You can either jump and trust that he's going to catch you, or you can stay where you are. I suppose there's a third option in which he'd drop you, but let's, for argument's sake, <laughs> say that <laughs> that's, not, that's not what's going on. You're either going to jump and be caught, or you can stay right here. Um, how do you glorify your father in that moment? Is, is he elevated by you just saying, no, nah, dad, I'm good. I'm just going to stare at here. What, what, if he, what if you jump, though? What if you trust him and jump and you have faith in him and you, and you take that leap that makes him look, look strong and wise and faithful? He promised he was going to catch you. If you jump and he catches you, man, your dad looks good, Right? That's how we glorify God in our faith. He says, I've, I've, I've given this to you. I, I've got this gift. I'm going to catch you. I promise. I'm, I'm, I've got your happily ever after here. It's going to be awesome. You're going to sail through the air. You're going to jump, and I'm going to catch you in safety. It's going to be even better than it was before. You're standing on the shore by, by yourself. You're, you're all alone. You can come and be with me and receive this gift. Rece receive the promise of being embraced with your Father. It makes him look strong and wise. He's, he's glorified in that. God catches us in that, and he is glorified. That's how our faith glorifies God. We trust him. There's one more thing in this passage that might seem obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sometimes we don't see the obvious. Faith ha has part of it. Part of faith is in the past, and part of faith is in the future. Faith, we, we said before, is, is an act of trust in a person or, or a thing. In this case, we're talking about having faith in God. 
having him, having a trust, a faith in him to do what he promised to be and do. Verse 18 says, in hope against all hope, Abraham believed. So hope and faith are kind of these overlapping convictions. We have, we have this thing in the past. We have this living hope that Jesus Christ, perfect sacrifice poured out on the cross. God did that. We, we have that assurance that, that he did that. Jesus came back from sin and death in the grave. That, that's the foundation. That's, that's what we have to establish our faith in. And because of that, because he did that, we have no reason to doubt that he will do what he said he's going to do, that he will work that to, to completion, that by grace, through faith, you will be justified. Your sins will be pardoned before him. See how that is? Faith, faith is established in the past, but it also gives us something that we have to trust in for the future. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us. That's the past. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's the future. Faith looks back. It takes its stand on God's demonstration of love for us. And then it looks to the future and knows that God will fulfill all of his promise for us. A justifying faith, a faith in which we receive justification, in which we receive righteousness, trusts God for all his promises, for what he has done, for what he, is, he will be, that he will catch us, that he will be glorified in catching us. It's an amazing promise. So let me close with one more thought. When you trust God to fulfill his promises to you, you declare your faith in Jesus. Yes, I know, I, I know I'm in a place of hopelessness in my sin. I know I need justification. I know I need to be pardoned from this sin. And I will declare my faith in this grace, in this free gift. When you trust God to work everything together for your good, to be with you to the end of the age, he said all these things, to help you and strengthen you and uphold you, to meet all your needs and to bring you safely into the full realization of his glory in heaven. When you really trust him for all of this and more, it will profoundly affect the way that you see your life here on earth. The kind of sacrifices and risks that you're willing to take for the sake of God, for the sake of his gospel, for the sake of glorifying your father, the leaps of faith that you're willing to take when he says, I'm going to catch you, that he is going to be glorified in those things when you do jump. When you trust in him to fulfill these promises, you're not, you're not going to be taken aback or held back by, oh, but, but I'm really comfortable where I'm at right now. Or, well, you know what? Our, our way of living, we've, money's good right now. We're, we're in a good place. We like our house. We, we wouldn't want to lose those things for the sake of your promise. When you're truly clinging to the promises of God, those things are going to pale in comparison to the gift, the promise of his glory that awaits you. So today I invite you to seek his kingdom, to glorify God in your faith, to glorify your Father by declaring your trust in him, to take your stand, to take your foundation that Christ was crucified and risen for your justification, for your pardon, so that you could have faith in God to do what he's calling you to do, to glorify him, to glorify your Father in your faith.
so that to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, if we don't understand it at times, it just, just like in those movies, those superhero, understand, uh, the superhero scenarios, where we don't understand how they could possibly get out of it. Sometimes we don't fully understand how you could be such a good and gracious and loving God to bring us out of our hopelessness and sin. And that's okay. You don't ask us to understand how the plot worked, how, how the nuances of your plan came to be. You simply ask us to trust in what you've done, that we will be clothed in your righteousness, your perfection, justified through the gift that you freely gave. All that you ask is for us to have faith and trust in you and your son. I pray today we would be strengthened, uplifted in that, that we would be able to look back and see your faithfulness to us, that we would look ahead and see that you are able to bring us through whatever is facing us right now. You do long to rest with us. You long for us to experience that happily ever after of your glory in heaven. It doesn't make sense that you would freely give it to us, but you do. Let us hold to that hope. Strengthen our faith today. We long to be used by you. We long to glorify you, our heavenly Father, this Father's Day. In Jesus' name we pray.